We are going to be looking this morning at Jonah or Yonah, as it is pronounced in Hebrew. Yonah means dove. We are going to be looking at the third chapter in this book. Yonah has already fled from the Lord and been brought back to the Lord and repented. But now Yonah is going to be recommissioned, and he's going to be sent out once again. And this time he is going to obey. Yonah is a fascinating study in humanity and just the way we are as people. And here he is someone who is struggling to get his arms around how he can reconcile what he wants and what God wants. And he is going to come to Nineveh with this message. It's a very strong message. Now, Franklin Graham is, to his credit, being very sensitive in calling his outreach a celebration of hope. He is coming to Vancouver with a message of hope and reconciliation with God the Creator. And Credit goes to him and to the organization and all those who volunteer and work with him for what he is doing. But Jonah's message was not exactly like that of Franklin Graham. Jonah was being sent to the city of Nineveh with a message against it. It is a message that in 40 days, Nineveh, shall be overthrown. And as much as Franklin Graham is being very sensitive and contemporaneous with the way we do things nowadays in the 21st century, there is a lot of opposition to him, and there always will be. There is opposition to righteousness. And I can only imagine the opposition that Jonah expected to face when he walked into Nineveh, a godless city, a city that would have nothing to do with righteousness, that had a history of unrighteousness and violence, and the people knew it. And no doubt there was some opposition, but we have a different story in Jonah chapter 3. We should be praying that in our city here, that there would be some, if not many, who will have the heart of the Ninevites to turn towards God. And as we will see, maybe even a heart better than that of the Ninevites, a heart that truly turns to him in faith. This message is along the theme of God relents if we repent. And that truly is the message of Jonah. That's truly the message of Scripture throughout, that God is yearning and looking for opportunities to relent, looking for opportunity to save us from the natural consequences of our own actions. God is a God of mercy. And now Jonah, who has experienced that mercy himself, who should have been allowed just to sink like a stone to the bottom of the sea so that God could pick someone more worthy than him to go to Nineveh. 
Jonah, who has been saved and who has been deposited on dry land and has repented, is now given a word. And these words begin in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, where we read, Vayahi devar Adonai el Yonah. And it was the word of the Lord to Jonah. To Jonah. And remember, these, this is the very same phrase that we have at the beginning of the book. Vayahi devar Adonai el Yonah. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, a phrase that precedes a direction to action. So the Almighty God is once again giving Jonah the very same instruction. We know at least a few days have passed, if not weeks and months. But now the word of the Lord comes. The judgment is clear. Things have not changed. The people need to hear this message because it is a message of life and death. And we live in a world that needs to hear this message of life and death. And the Lord brings us this message not because he wants to give us death, but because he wants to give us life. And the word came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And here we see in the first part of Jonah chapter 3, Jonah doing the deeds that accompany his repentance. The Lord says, Arise, go to Nineveh. It's somewhat of a redundant phrase. But there is no reproach of Jonah here. In fact, throughout the book, so far, we haven't seen the Lord reproaching Jonah for his rebellion. But the message is the same. The call is the same upon him. It's the message to, that I tell you, he says in chapter 1 and verse 2. He had told Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. But now in chapter 3, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. Jonah now really does understand the mercy of God because he has experienced it in his own life. He's going to learn even more about it as time goes on. But here he is given this message to go to the city of Nineveh, and he is going to speak to them. Not necessarily exactly the same message he would have preached before he had experienced God's mercy himself. And I can say from personal experience, the message that I, I might have preached 30, 40 years ago, I remember going to Granville Island in the 1980s to hand out tracts, is probably not the same message in the same way I would explain things now, having experienced more of what God has done in my life. And I hope, and I, I actually know that this is what happens in all of our lives, 
that as God works in us, our message is articulated differently because we have experienced more of God's mercy. We have experienced more of his love. We have experienced more of him. We have changed. As life changes us, the message becomes stronger and clearer. And so now it is the message that I tell you. Yonah is going to wait until he hears from the Lord. And so we read in verse 3, So Yonah arose and went to Nineveh. The last time Yonah arose and went anywhere, it was to, to, to Joppa, the city of Joppa, and he was going to flee from the Lord. This time he arose and he went. The rabbis say this too is redundant. The Lord just needs to say, and Yonah went to Nineveh. But he arose and he went. It's fascinating because it's the very same phrase we have in the book of Genesis when Isaac, I mean, when Abraham is given a command to, from the Lord. Remember, the Lord says to him, Take now your only son. It's in the Akedah, Genesis chapter 22. Arise, take your son, your only son, the Lord tells him. And then we read, Vayakam, he arose, Vayelech, and he went. He took his son and he went. This is a mark of obedience. This is getting up to do the will of God and actually going to do it. It's a mark of sacrifice. And he went to Nineveh according to the, day, the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh is described not simply as a great city, as we read in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. But now Nineveh is described in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 3, an exceedingly great city. And here there is even more that should interest us as we read the Hebrew in particular. And hopefully more and more of us will be learning Hebrew as we go along. I want to encourage Hebrew learning in our congregation. Uh, but here it is called Ir Gedolah Lelohim. And you know the word Elohim, Le Elohim to Elohim. This is a city that is great to the gods. It is a great city. And it's actually a phrase that is used a number of times when some, something in Scripture is really magnificent. Somehow God's name is brought into it. It is a great and glorious city. It is the city that is the, the New York or the London of its age. The whole world comes to it. The whole world knows about Nineveh. It is so exceedingly great that the, the world is influenced by it. And so is Jonah's culture. And so is his people. After all, when he goes to Nineveh, he already knows the language. He is able to speak people are able to understand him. And so he comes to this exceedingly great city. And no doubt, 
he has his fears. People could ignore him. People could attack him. People could report him to the authorities. Remember how many times in the Tanakh uh, prophets are reported to the king because of what they have said. Jeremiah, in particular, is thrown into a pit because his words were not accepted to the king. And back in a world when free speech, you could say what you wanted, but you would pay the consequences. Free speech was not an ideal. He had reason to be afraid, and he is going to this exceedingly great city. It's a city that's three three days' journey in extent. Um, Rabbinically, people count a day's journey at about 25 miles. That's about as far as a person can reasonably walk in a day, a person in good health at that. And so either Nineveh is three days from one side to the other, or it is three days in circumference, which again makes it almost 25 miles in diameter. We can tell that this city of Nineveh is a massive, massive place. The actual walled city is, of course, much smaller, but cities in that day were city-states where people would have their farms and they would have their um, industrial activities outside the city. But the city itself was the place where people would go for refuge. The whole area was three days' travel. So big, that when Yonah first arrived at the outskirts of this city and began to cry out the words of the Lord, and we hear these words in chapter three, four, 3, verse 4, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people on the other side would not necessarily have seen Jonah for another three days, minimum, when there would now only be 37 days to repent and return or turn to the Lord. Now, news travels fast. Somehow it travels much faster than we can travel. So I can imagine the news got around the city. But here is Jonah coming with a message. Franklin Graham is no doubt going to be delivered to B.C. Placer, or I think it's been renamed, um, He's probably going to be delivered in a limousine or at least in a very nice car and there will be other cars coming with him and there will be his team and there will be the photographers and the press and he will go in, um, you know, in, in relative security and protection. Whatever people are saying about him, he's going to be okay. He knows he's going to have some opposition. I'm sure he's experienced this before. Jonah goes into Nineveh, and he has the message. Nineveh is going to be overthrown. These were Jonah's deeds of repentance. Jonah had not only experienced the grace of God, but like each one of us, that grace had helped him realize the importance of obedience the importance of following on and being faithful to the Lord. Now he was to do what God had told him to do. He was going to obey 
because he had experienced not God's judgment so much, but God's grace. He did not repent until he experienced God's grace. And so it is with us. The Ruach HaKodesh works in our hearts. As we read in Yohanan um, chapter 16, to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He works in our hearts and he draws us to the Almighty God. In the daily prayers, there's the prayer, Hashivenu, return us to you, O Lord, and we shall be turned. God reaches down to us with grace and mercy. And experiencing his grace and mercy, we respond to him and we are brought into his family. And now Jonah is going to cry out. And he is crying out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But he has experienced God's mercy. It is God's mercy that gives him the courage to do that. And while Jonah, as we see later in the book, doesn't quite understand God's mercy for these people, he can't understand how God would be merciful to them. Nevertheless, God is merciful. And so now we see the deeds of faith that occur among the people of Nineveh. Now the people of Nineveh might have known a little bit of the truth. Somehow we can imagine that although they worshipped their false gods and their idols, that there may well have been those among them who understood something of the truth. But as a whole, they were a nation and a people who were completely given to following their own ways. They had pride. They were the great civilization, as we've already said, of the day. They had their laws. They, they had their statutes. They were a civilization with systems and with politicians, no doubt, and, and with ways of doing things that even today archaeologists are amazed at when they discover them and when they investigate. But this is what is amazing about the people of Nineveh. Here is this Israelite prophet He's a nobody. Franklin Graham's a somebody, but Jonah, Jonah's a nobody. He comes into Nineveh. He speaks this message that isn't very careful, isn't very seeker-friendly, as we would say today. Nineveh shall be overthrown in 40 days. And they believe. This is something remarkable. They see him, and they repent. Some people say this is maybe because Jonah was bleached by all the stomach acids in the whale or the fish, more accurately. I don't know if that's true, but there is a spiritual power. God did something. They believed God, it says. Not necessarily just Jonah, but they believed God. They proclaimed a fast they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Deeds of faith. Sackcloth and ashes. You can imagine it. It's like taking 
sackcloth. It's hard to find nowadays, but in ancient times, you didn't have looms that would spew off fabric at meters per minute. Uh, it was expensive, and so there was a lot of very rough cloth for various purposes. They would put on rack rough cloth, the kind of cloth you might use to make sacks, and they would pour ashes on their heads, and they would look quite a spectacle because they wanted to show what was going on in their hearts. They needed those signs to show what was happening. They realized that they had done evil. They realized that God was going to judge their city. That's a tremendous thing. I remember um, when, just before Y2K, year 2000, my Californian in-laws sent me a butane stove because they thought the world is going to collapse and you're going to need something to get through until things can begin to be put together. And so they sent me and my wife a butane stove so we could at least cook. The Ninevites had a much better response to impending calamity, and that was to turn to God. That is the kind of response that we should have. And they, from the least of them to the greatest, they turned to the Lord. It's a lesson here, by the way, in biblical interpretation. And if I can digress just for a second, it's worth noting. Here we have a saying from the least to the greatest, and sometimes we look at things very literally and we think the very least to the very greatest, but it's quite clear in the next verse that the king himself later on arose from his throne. That's subsequent. The message goes out from the least to the greatest. It is a way of speaking, and we need to understand Scripture the way it is meant to be understood and just like language in any, in any place, it needs to be understood for its intent. There have been people who have been uh, stymied and whose faith has been shaken by silly things like the discovery of a seed that is smaller than a mustard seed when Yeshua said it is the smallest of all seeds. It is a manner of speaking. It certainly was the smallest of all seeds, to the people there. But it, he was not saying that this is, he was not trying to make a scientific statement that this is the smallest of all seeds that has been created. Language is meant to convey something. And so here we see from the greatest to the least of them, we get the picture. This is the picture we are expected to have that from the highest levels of society to the lowest levels of society, and maybe even the small children, everyone understood. We understand the Bible literally, but we have to avoid an unreasonable literalism, what some people call a wooden literalism, that would maybe obscure the actual meaning of Scripture. For example, trees do not have hands, and yet we sing according with scriptures, the scriptures that the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Uh, scripture is meant to be understood with an intelligent mind. 
So the word came forth to the king of Nineveh. And this is a concern because the king of Nineveh has the power of life and death over everyone in his domain. Jonah was probably breaking various rules and various laws. Certainly he was breaking custom. The city of Nineveh shall be overthrown. The king has finally heard. In Hosea chapter 5 and verse 1, we have the king hearing. In those verses, the, verse, the words of the prophet are addressed to the king. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 1, the prophet there said, Hear this, O priests, take heed, O house of Israel, give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment. They needed to hear, and they heard. In Joel chapter 2, we have the message also going out, and we see the way it is meant to be received. Now therefore says the Lord, Joel chapter 2 and verse 12, Now therefore says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will return and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. The people of Nineveh grasped it, and they were repenting. They did not want to see judgment upon their city. They were afraid that in 40 days their great city would be overthrown. And this is remarkable because who could overthrow Nineveh? It had great and mighty walls. It, was a, it had an army that was like no other. They were the superpower of the day. No one was going to overthrow Nineveh. But the people believed God. They proclaimed the fast. They put on sackcloth. And the king himself laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. What a tremendous thing. That's actually good leadership at this point. He is also demonstrating what his people need to do. He also is demonstrating his faith. So all the city as one are repenting and turning. And the king caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. If you turn to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 7. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? 
And so they turned to God. That must have been quite a sight, people draping sackcloth and ashes even on their cows and their sheep and their goats and their other animals and themselves and crying out to the Lord and actually turning from their evil ways. They understood that their ways were evil. They understood that they had done violence, that violence was in their own hands. We live in a society where maybe violence is far from us, but we live in a violent, violent world. And we need to be aware of it, and we need to be um, seeking to deal with violence in every way we can. Violence was characteristic of Nineveh, however, and they were to repent. And they understood God's repentance, or God's, um, God's willingness to relent. They hoped for it. But there's a very interesting difference here between the people of Nineveh and the sailors. So let's go back just for a minute to the sailors. They understood the power of God. They actually experienced his judgment and nearly lost their ship and their lives. And they were um, experiencing God's judgment and seeing the greatness of God when they saw his mercy. At that point, they repented. And what do we learn about the people who are in the boat, those sailors? They not only repented, but they acknowledged who the Lord was, they offered sacrifice, and they made vows. They changed their lives, not just simply turning from evil, but they turned to God. They put their faith in him, and they worshipped him. Now here in Jonah chapter 3, we see something interesting. The people repent from their evil ways. They repent from their violence. There is the sackcloth and the ashes, but we just read a minute ago where Yoel says, Don't, the Lord isn't that concerned with your sackcloth and your ashes. What they don't do is they don't turn and worship God. They don't make the sacrifices to God that demonstrate a real change of heart. They don't cast away their idols and make vows to worship the God of heaven and earth. Their repentance is a repentance that is driven by fear. It is a repentance that is driven by the acknowledgement that there is a God who could bring judgment upon them but it is not a repentance based upon the grace of the Almighty God. Jonah, no doubt, preached the grace of God. He could not do otherwise because he had to tell the story of what God had done to him. He knew the grace of God. And the Lord sees the works of the people in Nineveh, but it and he sees that they turned from their evil way. But there is nothing to say that they really, really had that change of heart. And so here we have a lesson. God is a loving God. God cares for his creation and he wants to be merciful. 
But true saving faith involves something else, not just simply a repentance from evil works. True saving faith involves turning to the Almighty God. When we turn to the book of Yaakov or James, Yaakov makes this so clear to us. And sometimes I wonder how we would read the Brit Chadashah if the books that were written to the Messianic Jews of the day, the Jewish believers, were put at the beginning rather than at the end. Because maybe it would color the whole way we look at the Brit Chadashah. But regardless, Yaakov says in chapter 2 and verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And in verse 18, he says, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now we have great sermons on this verse in our sermon archive at zmf.org. So you're free to look them up. But there is a very clear connection made that you don't have to do a lot of research to understand. And works must go together. True salvation involves faith. These people did not necessarily change their beliefs. They changed their clothes into sackcloth But in the long term, history records that they did not change their deeds. This was a temporary repentance to avert the divine decree against them. But it wasn't a repentance that resulted in a fundamental change in the city of Nineveh. History records that Nineveh went on to be used to judge Israel. Nineveh went on to also experience the judgment of God as the prophets had foretold. And now history records. Theirs was not a true repentance, not a thorough repentance, but God was a merciful God. And God is a merciful God. And God relented. Their repentance did avert for a time God's decree against them. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. One thing that we're going to see, if the past is anything to go by, is with the message that is brought this weekend with Franklin Graham, people will go forward. Many people. And you'll say, wow, that's a lot of people going forward. About half of those, if not more, will be counselors and preordained people, people who've been selected to go down with those who are seeking counsel. But, but there will be many people who will go forward. But it'll be hard to find many of those people in the congregations around the city in the following weeks. Because the repentance may not be thoroughgoing. Now, I don't mean to cast cold water on this kind of event. My, my uh, wife, years ago, while 
praying for her unsaved brother and sister, got a letter from her brother who did not even know she was a believer yet. And here was my wife in Everett, Washington, new believer, praying. And the letter was from her brother who was serving with the U.S. Air Force in Okinawa. And he'll say, he said, you'll never believe the crazy thing that I did. I went forward in the Billy Graham crusade. And her brother is clearly a follower of Messiah to this day. So these events, God can use them to great good. And, and it's a wonderful thing. But we need to pray that God might bring that kind of thoroughgoing repentance, that kind of change of heart in people's hearts as they take part in this festival of hope where the good news will be shared. We need to pray that people will see past the bad press. Although for this kind of event, in reality, any press is good press, and it won't hurt. But we, we need to pray that God will bring the right people out and that he will touch people's hearts. Because God undoubtedly will, and he will bring his will to pass, and that that repentance will be full and true. And for ourselves, we need to ask ourselves if our own faith is one that is accompanied by deeds. And if the two truly are going hand in hand, we need to make sure that in our own hearts, we have hearts that are true to Hashem, true to Him, and that the changes that are going on in our hearts from day to day as God works in, them, in our hearts, that those truly are changes that are bringing good fruit and, ever, and lasting and everlasting results. Let's conclude in prayer. Avinu Sheva Shamayim, we thank you that you are a great God. We thank you that you do great things among your people and through your people in our world. And Father, we thank you for this message of your grace to the people of Nineveh, who in reality did not truly deserve your grace, and yet you were gracious nevertheless. We thank you that you are a gracious God. And Father, we pray that you might use us to draw people to repentance that is true, that is thoroughgoing, that truly turns not only away from sin, but actually turns toward you, the source of living water, the source of life everlasting. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.